and then you listen with open, loving hearts to her story. Let's pray. God, thank you so very much that you as the king of this world, you as the creator of this world, God, you desire that your creation be connected with you eternally. And God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts as we listen to the story of one of your children, Dr. Yeshi. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Yeshi. might be difficult for me to repeat following the sequence that I said in the first uh, session. Uh, when I came to U.S. the second time, actually, I came to Fayetteville for my Ph.D. And I didn't have a car at that time, so I used the a church van to go to the church and for the courtesy purpose I was sitting at the back and one day I told to a lady sitting in front of me to pass a message for me for the driver and saying that would you please stop for me at Garland and Leverett and she said huh and then I changed a little bit my pitch and I said would you please and finish the sentence and she said huh and then the third time I repeated again with a different pitch and she said I don't understand your language and actually I was speaking English anyways uh, it is the same uh, with God okay God has got a different accent or a different language to speak to us and if we're not willing to listen to him we don't understand him if we are not opening our ears to understand him we cannot understand him forever so the best thing that we should do with God is to listen to him and uh, let me read uh, from Isaiah 40:27. 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the, to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fail. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So I've been... Uh, walking with God for a long time. But for me to find God was not a shortcut. Okay? Here in the U.S., churches are everywhere. But it's not like that where I grew up. And I was born in a small town, real rural, 
or country. And uh, I was not even, I don't even know my, my birthday, okay? And I was born one Monday when it was uh, raining in the afternoon. So that's all I know about my birthday. The birthday that I may mention later on will be the about the birthday that I picked myself, okay? So if it's Monday, if it's run, uh, raining, you can call me, happy birthday. You can uh, send gifts and particularly gift, I like it, okay? And also cards. But anyway, I was uh, born in a well-off family and they, they actually uh, were farmers and partially also business uh, people. And uh, what happened was when I was uh, about nine months old, maybe, usually uh, kids are crawling at that time. So I was crawling and neighbors and friends uh, gathered in Ethiopia, there is a coffee ceremony. I was trying to show that uh, coffee ceremony in the uh, Bible school, vacation Bible school uh, last week. And so they gather and they share uh, coffee and sna snacks. So one lady who had never had any children, she was begging my parents to give her one child. So I was the seventh child from the family. So I was crawling and then I crawled to her and she picked me up and she gave me her breast and I sucked it. And at that time she claimed, this is my child. And she took me home. So my story starts from there. So. I was having so many siblings, but I was uh, raised alone. I had well-off family, but I grew up uh, poor. So uh, what happened was uh, that lady, I would rather call her my mom, because I used to call her my mom. So she, since she didn't have any children, she was getting married to uh, so many men at different times, but so frequently. So I was changing my name several times, depending you know who comes in. Okay. So the name in Ethiopia is you, you take your first name and then your father's first name. So for example, my name is Yeshi, and my if my father is Harley, I say Yeshi Harley, and the next time. If the next person is coming is Isabel, then I can say yes, she is there. Okay, so I was changing my name like that, and uh, kids were bullying me, saying that the child of seven fathers. I didn't know even they were father uh, seven, but that was what the, the kids were uh, calling me. So, uh, but reaching uh, fourth grade, I was called back to my parents. And it was ceremonial. I didn't uh, uh, tell you about the ceremony, how I returned back, but it was ceremonial because that woman should not curse me when she gave me back. So they were careful. And they were careful, careful also not to tell who my parents were because they were scared that I would be cursed by her. If I came to know that my parents are different and I moved back. So it was not in my willing that I was going back. So. Uh, there was, when I went back, there was uh, actually a long time slave in the house, so she died. So I was called back to replace her. 
And uh, so coming back to my parents, uh, they were uh, actually believing in some kind of uh, satanic kind of cult spirit, and which I was not very much aware of. And this lady, my mom, who raised me, she was a convert from, Orthodox, from Muslim to uh, Orthodox Christian after she got married, actually, after she was an adult. So she didn't care about that Orthodox Christianity. All her relatives were Muslims, so I was raised in a Muslim culture. So I knew Allah and, uh, you know, everything about the Muslims when I grew up. But coming in here, in my parents' house, there is another god uh, to worship, that is the cult spirit. And they call it Wukabi. I didn't know how to explain it, you know, except saying cult spirit. So they call it uh, Wukabi. And so it was that Wukabi who called me back to join the family. So anyways, uh, as I was seeing what's going on over there and serving closely uh, that uh, spirit, and Orthodox uh, priests were coming to our house, and my mom actually feeds them, gives them money, and so and so, and they tell her that they will take her, uh, her sins, and she can, you know, uh, continue what she's doing, that's worshipping Satan. And there was a confusion in my mind. Why are they telling her that like that? There is something not right about that Wugari or that spirit. And anyway, one day, I don't forget that, uh, that priest, he came and he ate and then he actually got some drink. So he was walking weird, drunk, and he was talking like... I don't even know whether my soul goes to hell or heaven or hangs on the tree. So I heard him that. And I actually, my, you know, my, my ears were open to listen to what people were saying. Because when my, my mom, who raised me, was an alcoholic, and sometimes when she gets uh, drunk, and if I'm not behaving well, she tells me, why am I suffering with uh, somebody's child? So that was a question in me. So I was searching for my parents. So always I hid a snake and I tried to listen to what people are saying in search of my, my real parents. And because of that, it was my, my hobby, okay? So when that uh, priest was uh, saying that, I heard him and then I questioned. And one Sunday, when everybody is gone to the Orthodox Church, I sneak out, snuck out and, uh, and sneaked out, actually, the English, and I went to the uh, Norwegian mission. And the Norwegian mission, even if it, it was there, the so-called Christians, Orthodox Christians, were not going over there. Only the pagan people who are poor were going over there. So it was a big no-no or taboo for the so-called Christians to go to the Norwegian mission. So anyways, I ran there and I went to the preacher after he finished to, uh, the preaching. I went to the preacher and I asked him, what is Bukhari? Okay, about that spirit, that cult. And he told me, it is devilish. It is actually Satan. That's the only thing that I heard. And I don't remember what he preached because 
I went with question and I, I, I wanted to know the answer for my question. And uh, then I ran back and when my mother came from church and I said, you know what, I'm not going to serve this cult, this Wugabi. And she said, no way, you're serving. You, you are actually uh, called back to serve the Wugabi or the cult. And I said, no, you can actually cut me, not from here, uh, in, in you know to the, to, in, in the back of my, my my neck, literally I said that it is direct translation from Amharic. So she said you will be cursed, you will be dying, you will be you know whatever happens to you. I said I don't care. So at that time I didn't know about Bible, I didn't know about Christ, uh, uh, Christ, but the only thing I knew was that was not right. And then persecution without knowing Christ started at that time from my family. So I was not well accepted, first of all, because I grew up uh, outside. And I came in and I refused to serve that, uh, uh, that, that, that cult. And uh, then, you know, that's it. There was persecution. But they wanted me to get married. The only way to avoid me was if they wed me early. And in Ethiopia, 14, 13 years old is too old not to get married because they are scared that you know a girl may get pregnant and uh, embarrass the, the parents so she has to be wedded so I have to fight a lot of fighting but that my sneaking you know uh, uh, and listening thing has saved me a lot and God had a purpose in that so let me read for you for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So at that time, I don't know about this word. I don't know the plan of God, but God had got a plan when he took me from that house and moved me to that lady's house. And nobody took me to the church because Whenever she goes to market or so, there is nobody to attend me. So I have to run, you know, around and with kids playing. And then I ended up in school myself. And I started that way. And teachers were giving me uh, a, a pencil and a paper for me for a long time. And even my family, even my parents were not aware that I was going to, uh, to school for a long time. So anyways, I, when I was fifth grade, there were some inspirations for me. And I promised to myself, I will go to the end of an education. And I didn't know what end of education was because in that small town, the maximum end of education was eighth grade. So I thought maybe, I'm not sure what I thought at that time, eighth grade was the maximum that I could go but it was in fifth grade. So our, my, my inspirations were the uh, longest river in America, Mississippi, the, the biggest river in South America, Amazon, the longest river in Africa, Nile, and the Eskimos in Alaska, and the kangaroo in Australia. And these things taught me that there, are another, there is another world. And have to see all these places was my inspiration. So when I got to eighth grade, I was a bright student, 
And so uh, there was a government exam uh, that evaluates uh, at that time. My average was actually 98.8. I didn't say that a while ago. So I was really, really good. And all my uh, teachers are like, yashi, yashi, yashi. Everybody was praising me. So anyways, I wanted to go to the, the high school because I saw my two brothers gone to high school. But the high school is about 500 kilometers away from where uh, I, was, I was living. And so they said, no way, you're not going because you will embarrass us. Because we have to go there and we have to rent a house and you know, do everything by ourselves. So they said, no way. And every relative and family member you know, just talks about against me going to that high school. And finally, one day, one rich man, his name was Mulgeta, and he came to advise my mom. He had so many daughters who have given birth, you know, in, while they are in his house. So my mom knows that, and he actually was uh, uh, telling her, if you allow this girl to go to Asella, Asella is the place where uh, the secondary school was, to go to Asella, she will embarrass you. And I think she knows what she knew, and she said, you know what, she's going. And let her bring her child and I will raise her child, her, her baby, she said. And at that time, I was listening at the, at the, from the back of a door at the bedroom. By the way, bedroom, not proper bedroom, okay? It's just a kind of bedroom for my mom and dad. Otherwise, everybody sleeps in the living room on the ground, okay? So I heard it from, uh, from that bedroom. And then I said, yes. So she stood on that and she allowed me to go. And I was taking care of my two brothers, cooking for them and, you know, running a house practically because we were all by ourselves. And small money is sent from our eldest brother because my parents were not willing to pay for anything uh, for education because they are not for education. So, but one of our brothers who had... A uh, small job was sharing his money with us, and but the money was not enough for us. So we were hungry, starved, no clothes, and you know it was so much discouraging situation for us to continue education. But for me, I was determined to go to the end of education. So I heard about uh, college when I was in high school, and I said, "Oh, I'm going." And I, I would like to be a high school teacher. So I went to college. And then after college, you know, uh, before I, I go to after college, you know, I was searching for God from seventh grade since I went to that uh, Norwegian mission until I was a secondary college student. At a sophomore college student. I was going from one church to another church. There was a lot of persecution going on in the country on the evangelical churches. Uh, you know, the Orthodox Church and the Muslims were the ones which were actually against the evangelical church. And because the rate of conversion was going high in the country with evangelical churches. So even if there was persecution, I go from one church to another church, another church. And finally, second year college the crusades from U.S. went, and there was a big kind of conference. It is like a vivid uh, 
memory for me. And I went there, and I could understand English at that time. And there was also a tran uh, translator. So I decided at that time to accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And uh, Harley, a while ago, was uh, uh, saying that I think even if I don't know the first birthday, that second birthday was, again, I don't remember the date. So anyway, that was my, my birthday in Christ. So uh, it happened like that. And, you know, the purpose of God, we don't know it. And the roads were tough and rough. And, you know, so many times we fall on the hard rocks and it hurts. It hurts when you fall on uh, hard rocks. But it's always, instead of, you know, saying, complaining, God, why do you do this for me or to me? It's uh, good to say that. What is this for? What are you going to teach me? Because that is the way God actually carves us, shapes us to his purpose. Everybody is created to his purpose, to his glory, to worship him. And so I may say that this might be a reason okay, for God to pass me through all those ups and downs so that I can share my story with you. And so it is very important. Mission is important to me personally. So I would encourage your church actually, uh, really to, to support the, the mission work. And another uh, important message that I have for the young people is that, you know, alcohol or drug or just, you know, uh, you know, stopping schools and getting to different direction, bad direction is not a choice. And the choice that we make is what gets us where we can we can get. I made, you know, it was not my choice to be born in Ethiopia. It was not my choice to be black. It's not my choice to be taken by that woman and raised poor and uh, uh, poor and lonely. And uh, one thing that I didn't tell you is my mom who raised me, she actually lost her sight when, she, uh, when I was in seventh grade. So uh, that was a disaster for me because I have nobody to run to after she, 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 she lost her, her, her uh, sight. And she became a beggar sitting at the roadside. And at that time, even with that situation, I chose to be with her. I didn't identify myself with my parents who, who were well off, but who were cult worshippers. Even if you know she was not you know, a Christian, a strong Christian, but she was at least a beggar. So I identified with her. So I carried lots of loads you know, uh, related to her uh, sight loss because I had to take care of her all the time until she died. So I didn't tell that story a while ago. So the message for the young people here is that, you know, everybody has got different roads. Everybody has got different uh, stories. And when you are in problem, make a choice. 
not a, a bad choice, a good choice. Everybody is started from dust and goes to hell or to heaven based on the walk that we are walking in between that is on earth. And God is preparing us for heaven on earth. When we, he is passing us through difficulties, he is shaping us for his glory. Thank you very much. Nine. Everybody raise together. I have, I have come so they may have life. I want them to have it in the fullest possible way. John 10. personal relationship with each one of us. And God understands what's going on in our lives. He knows what's going on in our lives. He's aware 
of what is going on in our lives. So when Yeshi, Dr. Yeshi, when she was born, she doesn't know the date she was born. She just knows the day. She was born on a Monday. When Dr. Yeshi was born, God knew because he created her. She was born into a family that was wealthy. And a villager, someone from her village, took Yeshi from her home and raised her as her own daughter. And Yeshi said that she grew up lonely and poor. The family she was born into, they were um, Satan worshipers. God knew where she was born. She knew the family. He knew the family she was born into. And God knew before it ever happened that she was going to be taken from her home and raised by somebody else. And I don't know if you caught this or not, but as Dr. Yeshi was telling her story, she said that the family she was born into, uh, a longtime slave, died. And it was at that point that the spirit they were worshiping told them to bring Yeshi back into their home as their new slave, which is how Yeshi ended up back home. Did you catch that? And we hear that and we think about that and we think about that that's something we can't understand really in the United States. But God, the whole time, through all of Yeshi's life, God knew what was coming next. There were a lot of hard rocks, as Yeshi said. But even all the way in Ethiopia, you know, we, we have a tendency to believe that here in the United States we are the center of Christianity. Not the case. Not the case. There were Christians in Ethiopia all the way back to the first century when the disciples began sharing the good news. You know, it's called good news for a reason. Because there's some bad news. The bad news is that every single one of us, myself included, we have messed up. We have blown it. We have chosen our own ways to live our lives. We've chosen our own way, our own path. And God calls that, describes that in His Word. He describes that as sin. And because of sin, we have lost our connection with God. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God loves us so much. He knew that was coming. Even at creation when he created us, he knew that was coming. He had a plan ready to put into action to redeem the world, to save the world so that they could connect eternally with God. His plan was for God himself to die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And that is the good news. 
And that's the good news that Yeshi, some years back when she was in college, surrendered her life to that good news. Surrendered her life to the care and the control of Jesus who died on the cross for her. That's the good news. Now, Jesus himself talks about this good news. And I want to share with you a snapshot of Jesus and the people who followed him. At this time, they were following from town to town, listening to what he had to say. I want to share with you a snapshot of that experience. Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 35. Here's how that story goes. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of the area, teaching in the synagogue and announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news was God's kingdom is coming. You can be a part of it. You can be in that kingdom. That's the good news. God had a plan, a way for that to happen. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, these were the people following. They were not necessarily Jesus followers. They were just physically following him from town to town, listening to what he had to say. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion. A, a broken heart for broken people. That's what Jesus had for them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that moved the heart of Jesus. So he had compassion. He was broken for the broken people. And somehow, as only God can, he was sharing in their hurts that they had all brought as they were following Jesus to this next place where he was teaching. He was hurting because they were hurting. He had compassion for them. Compassion so often for Jesus even went to the point of tears. He would shed tears many times for the people he had compassion for. That's what compassion does to you. It breaks your heart for the people who are broken. It can bring tears to your eyes. And do you know this? Jesus had compassion for those people who were listening to him. And I know this today because this is what God's word tells us. Jesus has compassion now 2,000 years later for us today, right now. He has compassion for you. He has compassion for me. Jesus still has compassion for us. And it can still lead to tears. But the story changes at this point today. Jesus has compassion. His heart is broken for those who are broken. But today, Jesus is not walking on this earth. Jesus was here for a very specific time. We read about, the, read about that in the New Testament. Very specific time chosen by God. He was here at a very specific time for a very specific purpose so that he could go to the cross. And there is where our sins die with Jesus on the cross. But three days later, he walked out of the tomb. Then he spent some time, some more time here on this earth after he rose from the dead, and he spent some more time with his followers, and then he left to go be with God 
in heaven. Jesus is not physically here on the earth any longer at this time. He will be back for now. He will be back, but he's not here now. But he has a plan. While he is gone, passion for he has a new plan for his compassion because Jesus still has compassion for his creation. He still has compassion. But he's not here to reach out. And before he left, he asked his followers, which now include you and me, he asked them and now ask you to be his hands here on this earth, his hands of compassion, to be his feet of compassion. That's what he's asked. He still has compassion for his creation, but now he dispenses his compassion to the world through you, a Christ follower. But to do that, for us to have the hands of compassion, the feet of compassion of Jesus. In order to do that, we must have the eyes of compassion that Jesus has. We must see those needs, those spiritual needs around us. And those needs are huge. When I was born, there was three and a half billion people on the earth, that we're living on the earth, three and a half billion. Today there are 7.6 billion people on this earth. Of that 7.6 billion people, 5.3 billion, the vast majority, almost five and a half billion people living today are not connected to God through Jesus Christ. The vast majority. The reality is this. We are losing the race for the souls of men. Why? If you yourself have experienced the compassion of Jesus... And you have become a follower of Christ. A Christ follower is what we call it at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Some places you call it Christian. But if you have become a follower of Jesus, you have experienced the compassion of Jesus. Why is it that that compassion seems to end with us? Why are we losing the race for the souls of men? Maybe, just perhaps, perhaps we are so busy living our own lives and doing what we want to do that we don't even see the needs around us. Or perhaps it is that we just want God's compassion for ourselves. We don't really care what happens to somebody else. We want His compassion. We want to know that we're going to be with Him in heaven one day. And then it ends there, just perhaps. So maybe, maybe there's not enough compassion left over after we use it up. 
for us to share. For us to be the hands of Jesus to the world around us, the feet of Jesus. Maybe we don't have the eyes of Jesus to look at those needs because all we're doing is looking at ourselves. Do you know that 152,000 people die every single day? Around this world, 152,000 people, which, if the statistics roll over, it means that of those 152,000 people who die every single day, 106,000 of those people who die every single day, they die eternally separated from God their Creator. 106,000 people every single day, every 24 hours. That would be like half of Little Rock dying today. And tomorrow the other half and Little Rock would be gone. All those souls gone. That would be the equivalent of in six years, the entire United States of America gone. Souls never connected to Jesus. 73 people every single minute die and are eternally separated from God. 73 every minute. That is 4,380 people every hour. The need is huge. The need is enormous. And Jesus looked over the crowd that had gathered around him and he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion because there is eternity in mind. The need is enormous. Matthew says that Jesus was moved with compassion because he looked around and they were confused. They were confused. Jesus looked around and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now that description, they were confused, they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd, that reminds us not of the first century, that reminds us of today, right now, in the United States and around the world. People are confused. They don't know why they're here. They don't know their purpose. They don't know God's purpose for their life because they don't know God. They were confused. And today they are confused. They are helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus today is still moved with compassion. Confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were living their lives without God. And that describes today as well. So Jesus was moved. And this is what he says next in verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. But the workers are few. You see, God has a plan. 
God has a plan. Even though Jesus is with God right now, the right hand of God, and Jesus is God himself, that's a whole nother teaching. God has a plan. While he is there, he lives in you and through you. And you are now his hand. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are his hands and you are his feet. He lives in you. God has a plan. God has a solution. Here's the solution. Part 1, verse 38. He says this. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. He says, you and me, all of his followers, pray to the Lord. Because the Lord is in charge of the harvest. And this is his harvest. So let's go pray to the Lord and say, God, there's a problem here. This harvest is enormous. 7.6 billion people alive today. The vast majority who do not know you are not connected to you. Pray to that Lord of the harvest because it is his harvest. Now, he has a solution. The solution is Jesus, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. And part of his solution now involves you. He's asked you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And now here's what he says. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. You see, God wants to send out some more laborers into the harvest. Some more workers into his harvest. There are some there, but more are needed. And you say, well, listen, Harley, that, that, that's what you're here for. I mean, you, that's why you were here. You're the pastor. You answered that call, and God put you into his harvest. You answered the call. But let me say this. God's design to get his creation connected with him through Jesus Christ, eternally connected. His plan is not through pastors. His plan is through you, Christ followers. Yes, there are some workers out in the field that's what Jesus said. There are some, but he said, there's not enough. More are needed. There are some people out there working right now, but more are needed right now. More must jump in. So my question, are, are you working in his harvest? Because you are his plan. You are part of his solution to connect his created world, every soul, connected to him eternally. That's what he desires. You are part of his plan. So Jesus says that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So he says, ask him, ask him, the Lord of the harvest, ask him to send more workers 
into the field. And guess what? We are all part of that more. So as we end, right now, his, this very moment, you are either working in his field, in that harvest, or you are not. So my question is this, are you? Are you? And then my next question is this, will you? Will you? For the next five weeks on Sunday mornings, we're going to teach you how. We're starting a brand new series next week, and we will begin to teach you how to be part of that harvest, to be a worker in that harvest, in God's harvest. We're going to teach you how over the next five weeks. We begin a brand new series, and the title of the series is called this, The Girl Who Broke, The Boy Who Drowned. And we're going to teach you how to be in that harvest. So I'm simply asking you this, will you keep coming back for five more weeks? Now here's the second thing I'm going to ask you today. The first thing is, will you keep coming back for five more weeks? The next thing is this, as you prepare for the beginning of this next series, as you prepare, will you do this with me this week? Will you go ahead and jump into the harvest? And here's what I want you to do. One person a day over the next week. One person a day. Will you simply ask them this question? Hey, did you go to church Sunday? One person a day. Will you simply ask them, hey, did you go to church Sunday? And if they say, yes, yes, I did, will you celebrate that with them? Will you be excited for them? Will you encourage them? Will you say something like, that is awesome. Tell me, tell me, what's God doing in your life right now? That's exciting. I'm so glad. Just encourage them. But if they say, no, no, I didn't go this Sunday, will you simply say this? I would love for you to come with me this week. That's it. I'm asking you two things. Will you come back for the next five weeks as we learn how we can be in the harvest with a brand new series called The Girl Who Broke, The Boy Who Drowned? And then will you simply, one time a day, one person a day this week, simply ask them, hey, did you go to church? If they did, celebrate with them. If they didn't, then simply say this, wow, I would love for you to come with me Sunday. Just invite them no matter what they say. Just smile and encourage them. They may say no. They might say yes. One person a day over this next week. Just love them no matter what they say. Now I want to share something with you. And as I do this, I'm going to ask the band to make their way up. We're going to do two songs that I'm going to pray for us and we're going to be done. 
But I want to share with you, I, I, I don't know if I've ever shared with you a poem. I'm going to share with you a poem this morning, and here's the reason why. This was a poem that my youth minister, when I was a teenager, my youth minister shared this with me and with the other people in our student ministry. And this poem motivated me to be a part of God's harvest. It motivated me to get into God's field, to be a worker in God's field, as he has called us all to do. And I simply want to share with you this poem, and then we're going to sing two songs, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to leave, and we have a choice to make. Will we be in his harvest? Here's the poem. It says, My friend, I stand in judgment now. I feel that you're to blame somehow. I walked with you by day. Never, never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell me the story. My knowledge then, it was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together here on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend. I trusted you. But now I learn it's too late. And you could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and we talked by night. And yet you never showed me the light. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and I trusted you through joy and through strife. And yet on coming to this dreadful end, I cannot now call you my friend.